who he is now. I mean, right now. Not who he was 2,000 years ago when he walked on the face of the earth. Who is he now? And I get into this because this is huge to me. And, and I say this in respect to what it is that we many times get an image of, just like in the video, he laid down on the couch, thought he was in the psychiatrist's you know, office, and he just begins to unload and too much too soon. Sometimes I think we can be in a place where we see Jesus, where we understand who he is in a limited fashion by always visioning him on the earth. And as we look at him and his ministry, and as he, as he walked this earth, I mean, take a look at him as a baby. We, we'll get to that in a second, but just the entire process, that's where our mind seems to go. So let me throw something out at you this morning, and that is very simply, when you think or hear of the book of Revelations, what comes to your mind? Ooh. Got all these images popping up all over the place about this thing and that thing and everything else. Well, I want to show you what the book of Revelation really is about and teach just on this this morning. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of Revelation issue. I just want to share with you principle. And principle is huge. It's not method. Principle is principle throughout Scripture. That's why we can come to Scripture and realize that what was principle then is still principle now because God's principles never change. Methods change, do they not? Oh, yes, they do. I mean, the way you cook, your methods have changed. The way you dress, your methods have changed, unless you're still wearing jumpsuits from the 70s. But that's beyond the point. My question is, what comes to your mind as we talk about this and ask the question, who he is now. So let's take a look at something. When we talk about the book of Revelations, first of all, let's understand what the book is all about. So Revelation is chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Stop. Don't go any further. I don't know what you get in your mind when you think about Revelations, but I'm here to tell you it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. It is about the revelation of Christ. Revelation simply means unveiling, unveiling. So this book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ to me. I, I can't look at this book or read its parts without taking into account that this is the unveiling of Jesus it speaks it, it says it, it, it's right there in the beginning. That is all that he has done. He died, he shouted, it is finished, he was buried, he rose again, he has been crowned king of kings, and he has given the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, don't get angry with me. I'm just trying to lay a foundation here to bring about the understanding that I'm wanting to share with you this morning. Because unless I take into consideration uh, what, I, what I just told you, I'll, I'll never understand the book. Because, because this is not a revelation of his second coming. It's a re revelation of him. So it, it concerns what he has done. But because it is of him, then it's who he is now. Now, his now relationship to the universe, the world of men, uh, and, and it takes in all that he has in store for the future. It does include his second coming and his eternal reign. Oh, yes, it does. But who is he now? Understand Verse 1 again. Take a look at it. Let's finish some of it out. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. He sent and signified it. Say that with me. He sent and signified it. One more time. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. 
Now, let me just clarify this real quickly because if you look at the original Greek, and I, I would hope that you do do some research, that you do open up some sites on the web to understand what's being said there and get the translation that has been brought forth. But the original Greek word here is, is, is actually signs, symbols, and tokens. The original Greek there sent and signified it. In the original Greek simply means signs, symbols, and tokens. So the reason I share this is because as I read this, number one, whatever I find here is a symbol in the book of Revelations. Okay, when I take a look at the book of Revelations, I automatically understand simply by what that first verse tells me that it is a symbol, a sign, a token. So what, what I find here in symbols are, are cities, rivers, great lumbering beasts, a little lamb, slain, full of eyes and horns, a woman sitting on a beast. So again, I'm going to ask the question, who is he now? Who is he now? I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm not awestruck by a, a little baby. Now, sometimes I can feel guilty at Christmas time because we paint this little baby in, in, in a manger and, you know, we put all this significance and push it and it's cute and it's wonderful. But I don't find men falling on their face to worship a baby. And, and I say that not out of disrespect at all. Please don't, don't take me wrong here this morning. There's more to this than just the beginning aspect. When I look at Jesus, the man, you know, it's, it's interesting. People weren't awestruck. They weren't falling on the ground all over the place. What they were doing is asking, who is this guy? How does this guy speak with this kind of authority? What no, and, 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 and what he had done, what he had come... He had come to fulfill and redeem. Peter could only answer after the resurrection and Pentecost and say to them, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. So here's the neat thing. Now John finds himself in the cave on the Lord's day. Now, that, that word, Lord's Day, is a very simp simply, uh, it's, it's a neat word because it's Sunday. We all know that the Lord's Day is Sunday, but we don't know why the Lord's Day is Sunday. Well, that's because he rose on Sunday, is it not? Well, yes, he did, but why does that make it the Lord's Day? Well, you'll find if you go back far enough in history, and I do use good English from time to time, fur enough. If you go back far enough in history, you're going to find that Whenever the emperor would rise to power, whether it was on Monday or Thursday or second Tuesday of next week, it didn't matter. Whenever he came to power, that was always then declared Emperor's Day. So every, say he rose to power on Tuesday, every Tuesday then, you would call that, that would be Emperor Day. Well, Jesus rose, was crowned king on Sunday, so the Christians picked that up and they established that day as the Lord's Day. And so as we find John in the cave here on the Lord's Day, he is worshiping and he hears a sound behind him, which he says was like a trumpet. Notice that in, in verse 10 there, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now let me point out two things. We are into the world of symbolism immediately. He did not say he heard a trumpet. He said he heard a voice like a trumpet, like the sound of a trumpet, which immediately tells me that I'm looking <laughs> for something else. So I have to ask myself, what is the symbolism of a trumpet. And that very simply means that those who play trumpet are the best looking in the church. Okay, I can see that you're not in a good mood this morning. 
When I read of a trumpet in the book of Revelations, it is a book of signs, symbols, tokens. So what am I, what am I to expect? What, what, what do I expect? I go back to the Old Testament. To remember, you remember in the Old Testament, the first time you hear of a sound of a trumpet in a significant way, that would be in Exodus chapter 19. And in the book of Exodus, there you would find that it was a sound like a trumpet that called the people into the presence of God. The, the whole company of the Israelites are gathered. And, and it says that as the whole of Mount Sinai began to you know, quake and, 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 and with the presence of God there and, and a great thickness, a thick darkness on top and and you got lightning, it, 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 was like, it was like a great trumpet sounded and called all the people to hear the words of their covenant God speaking to them. Now, look, it is significant with the New Testament unveiling of the New Covenant that John is arrested by a voice that sounds like a trumpet calling him. It is a call to the whole covenant people of the New Testament. It is to come and hear the words of the new covenant. Come and understand what your God has done for you. And as he comes, he turns. And he sees what I would say if we interpret it literally, he's, he sees something quite grotesque. It, it is a vision of Jesus and, and, and I have to say this because there is no doubt that is who it is. He identified himself when he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And when he said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Whoa, give me an hour on that one. There is no question to who, he, who this is. But if I'm going to say that is a literal thing that John actually saw, as if that was Jesus he saw, then I'll say it again. That is a grotesque thing when you think about it. That picture mm, is different. Take a look at what he saw. Look at verse 12. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, I'd love to teach you on that this morning. I just don't have the time, but uh, that, that's, a, that's another thing. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Notice that, well, I'll just put this out there very quickly. Those, those lamp, that lampstand, the menorah, you have those six branches. They're, they're joined to the center, which is identified here as Christ, so all the churches, all, you know, all the, they, they are a part of him. He flows through them to bring them life. And I mean, that, that's all I'll say. But Jesus, if you want to take away, Jesus is the center of his church. He's the center of his people. And, and it says that one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and, and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Wow. White hair. Eyes, which in themselves are flames of fire. Out of his mouth, a great sword that's sticking out. You've seen the pictures, have you not? And feet that were glowing like brass in a furnace. If you really, 
you know, we just, we've gotten used to that in the church. You know, you give this description, okay, it's just Jesus. What, wait a minute. What's it saying about him? To think of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth? If that is a literal thing that John actually saw as the physical person of Jesus, no, friend. John saw Jesus, but what he saw was beyond words. The only way he could describe what he saw was by the symbolism in which Jesus chose to present himself. So he sees this one who is girded with a robe, who has white hair, whose eyes are as fire, whose voice is like many waters, whose words are like a sword, whose feet are burnished brass, and whose whole person is shining like the noonday sun. What does it all mean? That's the question. Suppose you want some answers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's next week. See you guys. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, let's talk about it. Let's break it down. This is more of a teaching than a preaching. I think you've probably figured that one out yet. But this is what gets me stirred up. Because it's not just about what he's done, who he was on this earth. To me, it's who he is now. So take a look. First of all, let's talk about the robe. As it, it's described as this long flowing robe with the belt around the breast up, up through here. If you do your diligence, you're going to find that was the robe of the ancient judges. A judge in the ancient world would dress in that fashion. And so here the person who John sees is one who is the final authority among men. He is the one who is man's final and ultimate judge. That's what that robe immediately symbolizes. Take a look at his hair. It is as white as snow. Again, a symbol among judges is white hair. I say that because if you go to England, the judges there still wear white hair. As soon as you become a judge, you are given this this white hair Well, okay, it's a wig, okay? That comes in nice little curls all the way down to your shoulders. Pretty neat, huh? Well, here's the issue. When you're just an attorney, you just get a little toupee with a little thing hanging down your back. But it's white as well. That's the thing. Why do they do that? I mean, why is that white hair, why, 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 you know, why is it always associated with a person who has, who is able to uh, discern and, and to judge. If you go back in the book of Proverbs, it talks about white hair being the sign of maturity and wisdom in more than one place. You'll find that white hair in the Bible always speaks of someone who's been around for a long time. We're, we're, we're not talking bleach either, ladies, okay? But, you know, the reason for that, being around a long time, they've learned a lot of answers, and they can discern and, and judge, except in this case, it says his hair is as white as snow. Understand the symbol. Here is ultimate wisdom. Here is ultimate discernment. And here in this person is the wisdom of God. You'll find him in Proverbs 8 where wisdom is personified and speaks of his eternal relationship with God the Father. I'm going to spit some of these scriptures out. You're going to have to write them down because I, I, I didn't put them all up on the screen. You'll, you'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 where it says Christ is made Unto us wisdom. Or in Colossians 2.3, where it says that in him there is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in there, Fred. The ultimate wisdom of God is focused in Jesus Christ. So when I see him, he is the judge 
of all men, who judges and orders the affairs of men in absolute wisdom, which is achieving the most perfect end and in the most perfect way, the glory of God. Now, then you come to the eyes. His eyes were as flames of fire. That's scary, isn't it? I've seen those eyes in my mother before. Ooh. But, but in all honesty, I've, I, you know, it, can you imagine what that... Look, fire that burns, basically, it's a symbol of fire that burns through all of our masks. It burns through all that is appearance in order to discover what, what really is. You remember back in John chapter 10, Jesus spoke of himself. He called himself the shepherd, the eternal wise shepherd, the final authority in his flock. And this is what he says about his sheep. I know my sheep. I feel like I'm doing that commercial. I'll make them pay. I know my sheep. Look, we all stand before the ultimate shepherd whose eyes are as flames of fire to burn through all those facades, all those masks. And as a result, we are known better than we know ourselves. I think Paul stated that when he says that no man judged him. And he didn't judge himself either. What he said in practical terms, if I can give it to you, is that there is one who judges me. If I went by the judgment of men, I would have been a dead duck long ago. If I went by my own judgment sometimes, I'd be a dead duck. But because I am in despair, I judge myself without mercy. He implies I prefer to place myself beneath the gaze of the eyes as flames of fire. Because he knows me perfectly. The, uh, the reality is, th this, this is a terrifying experience as well as a glorious experience. When Saul of Tarsus was known, he fell from his horse, remember? And he said, what? Lord, what would you have me to do? It is that coming into his presence of that one who knows me Perfectly. Honestly. Without me having to talk to him about my excuses. Without referring to the reason I did this or I did that. He knows me. I think the great songwriter caught that when he said, just as I am. Just as I am. And then you have his voice. It says that the voice was like the sound of many waters. Have you ever taken a trip to Niagara Falls? Yeah, I have too. I remember because I was, I was a teenager at the time. No, it wasn't a sweetheart thing. No, I didn't go with a you know, girl or anything. I went with a marching band. We were called the Musical Knights. We were, we weren't. Anyways, I remembered though, because we had all that time that we stood around these falls and we were on the Canadian side. And oh my goodness. I mean, you talk about an impact and the sound and the mist. I mean, stood there and, and heard the sound of what you have to call the sound of many waters to hear what it sounded like. I mean, to me, this is a huge example. Probably doesn't really come close, but it's as close as I can come when I stand by Niagara Falls and I hear its sound of majesty. It is the sound of awful, frightening power. You, you, you hear the majesty of the waters coming over, but you also hear the pounding that it takes when it hits the bottom of that fall. And the great mist that comes out of it. And, and just, just the, 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 the breeze of all the force that takes place. 
And yet there's a harmony when you think of all the water that is going over those falls. And yet it sounds as one. It is a sound of perfect beauty, perfect harmony, awesome, finding majesty. To me, strikes wonder in my heart. When I look at those falls, I'm going, whoa. John said his voice was like sounding water. He says that his voice reduced me to fear and yet at the same time it exalted me to worship such beauty and such harmony. He says it struck awe. It struck wonder. He says, I will never forget his voice. He said, and, and the words that were in his voice, they were like a sword coming out of his mouth. A sharp, two-edged sword. A sword that defeated all of his enemies that would attack the church. But at the same time, a sword that pruned his own church. Do you remember the scripture that says that the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. Remember he was saying in Hebrews there, he was saying the sword, God's Word, is able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit. I'll say it again. I've been saying it the past week or two. There's a difference between the soul and the spirit. The spirit is not your soul. Your soul is not your spirit. Your soul is your, your, your personality, your character, your mind. It is your sense of humor or your lack of humor or your lack of interest in these things or your, ooh, what turns you on over there and what you're all excited. You, you, that's your soul. Your spirit, that's the real you. That's what's in here. That's what becomes joined to God. Your soul doesn't become joined to God. Your spirit becomes joined to God. And in saying that, I know I'm getting off a little bit, but enough to say, hey, friend, that's why we are to be led not by the soul, but by the spirit. And as many as are led by the spirit, Paul says these are the children of God. I find that so many believers are being led by their opinions, their attitudes, their understandings, whatever kind of knowledge base you want to call it. But the reality is they're not led by the spirit. They're led by the soul. So they approach things through a total emotional basis without a clear understanding and not being, oh, I'm going to get off on a sidetrack, don't am I? We need to see who Jesus is now. That's what I'm saying. His voice reduced me to fear, and yet at the same time, it exalted me to, to, to worship such beauty and such harmony. Friend, remember that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And remember, he was saying the sword, God's Word, is able to divide asunder. That is the only word that can. So in that majesty, in that beauty, awesome, wondrous voice, the words defeat every enemy. And yet at the same time, it cuts away all the excess growth, all the undergrowth that is hurting the church. Then it goes on to say his feet burnished bronze in the fire there. Wherever you find brass in the Bible, it is a symbolic context. Remember that? Understand that. It is speaking of judgment. Must always understand that again. Brass in scripture, symbolic in context, speaks of judgment. So judgment... Get this picture. <coughs> Judgment is in his what? Feet. It says the gates of hell shall not prevail 
against his church. Can somebody say amen? You see, wherever he goes, all of his enemies are judged before him. Hello. Remember when they would, ha would, would back in the Old Testament, when they would move the ark in the Old Testament? Every, every time the ark moved, Moses would stand up and he would bring the whole camp to say these words. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. David would write in Psalm 68 to that same effect when he begins the psalm with those words. It was written on the occasion of the ark being taken into Jerusalem. And it begins, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And then he goes on to say, let them melt before him like wax melts before the flame. Let them be blown away by like smoke before the wind. You get this picture of an enthroned God who's marching. And as he's marching, as he comes with his feet like burnished brass, his judgment scatters his enemies. They melt like wax and they disappear. Whew. Draw near unto God. And he'll draw near unto you. And what happens? Nobody remembers what happens. The devil will flee from you. When you're close to him, the devil's not sticking around. Hello, somebody. You, I'm, I'm, he comes with feet like burnished brass. They melt like wax. Nothing can stand. Nothing can stop the onward march of the church of Jesus Christ. His feet burn like brass. Turn to your neighbor and tell them amen or something. Yeah, come on. Wake me up going on down. Look, friend. I'm getting wound up. I'm only going to take an hour and a half because I don't feel that well, okay? Then, then you have the face that's shown like the sun. Hmm. Turn and look at your neighbor. Okay? What did you look at? look at their kneecap, their elbow? No, you looked at their face. The face sums up the whole person. If, if I were to text you a, a, a picture of me, I don't think you'd appreciate it much if I sent you a picture of my knees. As good as they look, I'm telling you, I got the best looking knees around. I'm, I'm just, my wife always says, oh, you've got the best looking knee? And then the medication wears off and we're back to normal. I could tell you that's me. But you'd only appreciate a front view of my face. And if I give you a front view of my face, even though it is limited, it's a limited part of my body, you would accept that picture. I mean, no other part of me is going to do to describe what my face would do. I mean, in today's technology, when they're looking to identify a person, they, 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 they're not looking at their shoes. They're not looking at their chest. They're looking at facial recognition. Friend, when you look at the face of Jesus, it describes his whole person. And it says that it's shown like the sun. Man, there are references of this all the way through the scriptures to the shining of the sun. Remember back in Malachi chapter 4, it says the sun, the sun of, uh, the, the sun of, of, of the righteousness would rise with healings in its rays. And, and the result is touching 
us with those rays of his son is that we would dance like calves in the stall. Do you remember in, in Corinthians chapter 4, it says that the light of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. In the whole person of Jesus, there bursts into the darkness of our world the full sun of God's love, of God's grace, of God's mercy, and the finality of God's plan. Uh, again, remember what we said, please, at the beginning, because we are not looking for details. In my opinion, we run through those details in order to get the whole picture. What did John see when he turned around in that cave? Because it was as if he was looking into the face of the sun. Someone was uh, speaking, he says. It's just, it's, he said, I'll never forget them. So, such majesty, such beauty, such harmony, and yet so terrible. It's, it's so wonderful. I, 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 I see that as he walks, that there's nothing that can stand before him. He's so wise. He, he's the wisdom of God. He is the ultimate judge of all men. Understand, there's a great difference between the Jesus who walked among us in the flesh and the Jesus who was ascended king of kings. I will say this, he is still human. He's never shrugged that off. But he is now king of kings. He's come into his kingdom and lord of lords. Oh, yes, yes. When, John's, when John was with Jesus who walked with us in the flesh, do you remember that John would lay his head on his shoulder and whisper in his ears? That's intimacy. But when John saw him as he is now, he fell at his feet as dead paralyzed with fear, wonder, and love. But he was unable to move. Now, please understand me, because I, I don't want to get off on some tangent or some wild thing here. But in the book of Revelation, we are not dealing with Jesus of Nazareth. Something's changed. And we have got to take into consideration Philippians chapter 2. It is the key to the Christian understanding of Jesus. And I'm only giving you these scriptures. I'm not showing you. I'm hoping you're writing them down. So I'm going to look at this some more because I'm not used to looking at it like this. Understand me when I say, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but I'm going to say it anyways. Jesus is the name of his humiliation. When I say Jesus, I am talking about God in coveralls. He is God come among us. Jesus. That's his human name. Even his enemies called him Jesus. Christ is his title. Even the demons called him Christ, okay? But God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is, say it with me, Lord. No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, says 1 Corinthians chapter, one, or chapter 12, I'm sorry. What is the name that God gave him, which is above every other name? It is the name Lord. It is the name Lord. Do you even remember the origins of that name? Where that name comes from? What that name means? What that name is all about? It's God revealing his personal name, Yahweh. Jehovah, all those other names represent his character from Nisi to 
the, you name it, for Rafa. But that name, so sacred, so powerful, so unbelievable. It is the name. And God the Father says, I am giving you the name that is above every other name. And that name is Lord. And from the moment that Jesus rose from that from the dead, they have addressed him as Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Messiah. When John met this one in the cave, he did not go over to him and put his head on his shoulder. He fell at his feet as dead. You can, you can put your face on the shoulder of Jesus of Nazareth because he was God completely clothed in flesh that was among us. But upon ascension, he is the man who has fully realized Godhead. He is Lord. He says, I am the one who was dead and I am alive. And this book is the unfolding of history, or shall I say, it is the interpretation of history in the light of the first and the last. It says the whole thing sums up in a living person. His name is Jesus, who is Lord. He was dead, but he is alive forevermore. Oh, you can give him praise. Now, let me qualify something here. Because the Christ who ascended just doesn't hang there in time. The Christ who ascended has joined himself to millions of believers so that they speak of the day of his glorious ascension in which he said, in that day, I will be in you, and you will be in me. In that day, the day of his ascension, you cannot speak of Jesus as just being there. In that day, which is this day, he is always joined. He is always joined. He is always joined to his people. And he is now Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? That gets me pumped. <laughs> Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Like I'm getting my big brother to come help fight a fight. He's king. He is final authority. He is all wisdom. He is the great I am. He sees through the facades and the fronts and the lies and the facades that are there. And when he speaks, oh my goodness, it transforms us like standing behind all that water that's just cataracting over the falls. He's alive. Very much alive. We get our eyes on all these other things. We get our... <coughs> Pause in the program, okay? We get our eyes fixed on all these other things that are going on. Oh, my goodness, the baby formula. Oh, my goodness, the gas is 440 a gallon. Oh, my goodness, the war that's taking place in, in Ukraine. Oh, my goodness, all that's coming down, all the inflation, all the problems, all the... The day should be separating the believers from the unbelievers. This, to me, when I look at Jesus and I compare the words of Hebrews 13 or Hebrews 12, it changes everything. Fix your eyes upon him, the author and perfecter, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, whatever you want to say, of our faith. 
the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It is finished. He has died, rose again, been crowned king of kings. That was a good text, by the way. Been crowned king of kings. I should say ascended king of kings, given the Holy Spirit, and been declared Lord. That is our God. That is our Savior, not just hanging around, but a joy to us as you realize who you are connected to. I mean, I, I, I get blown away by believers that can't approach him or talk about him without awe. There is no awe in their voice. They've had enough Bible lessons about Jesus on the earth the last three lifetimes, and that's all it is, but they have never seen the majesty, the beauty of the ascended Lord, Jesus Christ, his life being imparted into us, joining us together so that I am in him and he is in me. What keeps us from that understanding, knowing that presence, that overwhelmingness, being led by the Spirit, is the soul. And that soul shuts you down because that soul is right open to everything the enemy has to throw at you in this world and its culture. It shapes your attitude, your formality. It gives, it, 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 it's, it's what you're being led by. And today, I believe God is calling us to who he is now and seeing him as he is and walking with him. The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. I believe this with all my heart, and I declare to you this day, he's not just alive, he is life itself. Father, thank you for your word this morning, and for speaking into our hearts. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Lord. Savior. We worship you, Lord. I pray like the prayer of Adonis over Paul, then Saul, that the scales would fall from our eyes. And these blind eyes would see with spiritual eyes. I pray that as Paul prayed, when he found that they were believers, and shared in the love one for another, that the eyes of their understanding be opened. And that they would have a fresh, new revelation of who their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. God, in this place this morning, let us never, ever walk the same, talk the same, let us never, ever be unaware 
of who you are today instead of living for some distant memory back then that will allow me to be with you at some time in the future when I pass away. No, it's now. Who you are now. Join to me now. Me join to you now. Living in your livingness. Being raised up from the dead. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So that we have been made to sit in heavenly places with you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. No weapon formed against us. No weapon formed against us. They're formed. They're coming against us, but no weapon formed against us will prosper. There's a sword called the Word of God that cuts it down in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray heal your heal your church today as in any other day as all that is which is being poured out heal your church heal the eyes may we purchase fresh salve from you oh lord i pray May the church know of repentance from the stubborn editorial place it has stood in for so long. For the empty, vain theatrics that we have walked through. For the liturgical stance that has the form thereof but denies the power therein. This is not out of magic formulas or words expressed. This is about a relationship. Touch your people once again and heal their land. Holy Spirit, I pray. And with heads bowed, let me ask this question this morning. You're here in this place. And I'm not taking this for granted with anybody, but you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know about Jesus Christ. But this joining together, this knowing his love, his forgiveness. And right now, you're feeling that conviction because you know what? There's some eyes as flaming fire looking through all the facades. And his love is reaching out to you. And that might make you feel uncomfortable, but sometimes love makes you feel uncomfortable. And this perfect love casts out all fear. If you're here in this place this morning, and you know that life can't continue the way it is, you can fake it as long as you want, but you know you can't, can, and your heart's saying yes to him through his life, to receive his life, to receive his love, to receive what he's done for us, then right where you sit, take a bold stance, take a firm action, and say, yes, I'm making that choice this morning, that's me by signifying that choice with an upraised hand. You're just slipping it up, put it back down again, because I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. If that's you here this morning, I don't want to take the chance that there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus in that way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless your holy name.
Bless this house, bless this church, bless your people. Stir us once again. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning you received this pesky little disposable cup with this thing we're supposed to call bread inside, which is really excess packing from Amazon boxes. But how many know it's not what it literally is, it's what it symbolizes. This bread, this bread, he says, is my body, which is broken for you. Now there's a reason behind that. Obviously, his body was perfect. But when he takes our condition to himself, it becomes broken. Even to the point where he'll cry out on the cross, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? It didn't make sense to him. He had never experienced this before. And now he's experienced the emptiness the loneliness, the darkness of being separated from Father. And, and then it says that he would take the cup. Obviously, you remember that being the covenant cup, or I should say the Messiah cup that was set at the Passover feast. That when the Messiah would come, he would sit at that place and drink from that cup. And at the end of supper, it would be the last thing that would be cleared away. And Jesus would reach for that cup at the end of supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as the Hebrew understanding would go, in my life, for thy life is in my blood. As we partake of these symbols, He asks us to do so in remembrance of him. What are you remembering? An earthly Jesus or a risen Lord who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty ever making intercession for us. Uh, we need to go back and reread Hebrews, amen? It's a good class on Wednesday night. We won't get there right now, but the whole thing, why so incredibly careful? But here's the thing. He doesn't just say, do this in remembrance of me so you won't forget. Nor did he really say, do this as an ordinance of the church, which is a doctrine. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I was, I am, and I will be forevermore. I am the Redeemer, the Door, the Sustainer, the Healer. I am the Supplier. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am all and in all. I am grace sufficient and strength made perfect in your weakness. I am, says the Lord, I am. And when he took the bread, he gave thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Can you just do that right now to, with yourself? Just between you and him, give him thanks. Give him thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit.
saving. Oh, did you catch that? Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so full and free. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'll cherish the old rugged cross where the trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it some day for a crown. Pray with me. I receive my healing in every cell, in every organ, in every part of my body. I receive my healing in every cell, in every organ, in every part of my body, in Jesus' name, amen. And after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Shall we partake of the bread together? Thank you, Lord. Hmm. And in the same fashion, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Shall we partake of the cup together? Hallelujah. And Paul would declare, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again. And how do I know he's coming again? Because he's alive. You can't come again if you're not alive. Right? <laughs> you don't, you just, see you later, God. You know, when my, my wife goes out the door, say, see you later, hon, be safe. Because she coming back. She's going to find out what I did. <laughs> He's coming again. It may be morn. It may be night or noon, we know he's coming soon. Then if you want to break out in one of those Andre Crouches, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Oh, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Oh, soon and very soon. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. Amen. I didn't realize so many of you really just don't have any rhythm. You know what? It's been a good day in the house of the Lord. I'm walking out with something that has stirred me, that has grown me, that has allowed me to see what I haven't seen before, that brings what I didn't understand into understanding, and that I know who he is now and shall be forevermore. We're going to pray. And as we do this morning, I'm believing God has healed some people. 
God has touched some lives. And I know that God's probably working on some people too. That's why when I say, after we prayer, after we pray, and, and, and Brother Tom lifts up the music, that we are opening these altars for reason and purpose. These altars do not shut. These altars do not just stand here. These altars are with reason and purpose. And my word, my Bible tells me that fire falls on sacrifice. I lay my life before him. And I love and adore him. He is great and greatly to be praised. Awesome in wonder and truth. My God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. He is glorious, majesty, wisdom, and truth. He is to be praised and magnified by all nations and by all people. So God, I pray that your church, your people, prosper, increase, are protected, and kept safe. And that you impart your health to them. I pray as we walk out containing the ark, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in his temple. I pray let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. In Jesus' name. Say it with me. In Jesus' name. One more time. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, somebody give him praise. Amen and amen. These altars are open. If you'd like to find a place of prayer, we want to.